You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Federal Premium Ammunition and their new Centerfire Rifle Ammunition Terminal Ascent. Now, the Terminal Ascent has a slipstream polymer tip that helps flatten trajectories and initiates low-velocity expansion at longer ranges. The Terminal Ascent gives you match-grade long-range accuracy in a bonded hunting bullet and it comes in a variety of cartridges including the 6.5 Creedmoor, the 280 Ackley Improved, the 28 Nosler, the 7mm Remington Mag 30-06 and the 300 Win Mag. If you want to find more information about the Terminal Ascent, visit federalpremium.com and while you're there, check out It's Federal Season, the official podcast of Federal Ammunition. <laughs> happy thursday everybody and welcome back to the hunting gear podcast my name is dan johnson i'm your host and we have a a bit of a curveball coming at you today we're not talking about bows or arrows or or rests or sights or or camo or boots or or you know, base layers or, or tents or backpacks, I could keep going, right? We're not talking about those kind of hunting products. Today, we're kind of outside the box of your traditional hunting gear or hunting products. And we're going to be talking about pieces of equipment that every land manager or someone who's a land owner should probably have to do habitat work on their farm. And we cover everything from chainsaws to I guess, chemical applicators to a drip torch to um, even higher end prices like uh, brush hogs or pull behind mowers and things like that. So it's kind of a, uh, a different view today, but today's guest is very knowledgeable. And I know this because they, uh, he is one half of the Land and Legacy podcast. His name is Adam Keith and uh, him and his buddy Matt run the land and legacy podcast right here on the sportsman's nation and these guys uh, and it's a bold statement but i truly believe it are probably some of the most knowledgeable habitat management 
experts when it comes to vegetation and trees and and uh, terrain and dirt and soil and all the stuff that goes into habitat management that there is uh, out right now. I, I will put their knowledge up against anybody's uh, that's currently out there. So uh, that's saying some good things about them. And that information kind of translates into to today's podcast. So uh, again, we're talking about gear and equipment that every land manager uh, should have or, or landowner should have to help potentially improve the cover uh, or the bedding or whatever, uh, improve the habitat on the pieces of property that they have access to manipulate, right? I personally um, don't know anything about this kind of stuff because I don't have access to manipulate farms or manage the, the habitat per se on the farms that I hunt. But I will tell you this, someday, knock on wood, I'm going to own a piece of property, whether it's big or whether it's small, and I'm going to uh, I'm gonna manage it and I'm going to do some of the stuff that uh, Adam uh, talks about today. So that's what today's episode is about. But before we get into today's episode, we're going to do a quick commercial. We got to we got to rep our sponsor and our sponsor is the Average Conservationist. Now, the Average Conservationist is an apparel uh, company, right? They have a podcast here in uh, conjunction with 2% for Conservation, but they have a uh, they have a apparel line. That has a lot of cool logos. They got t-shirts, they got hats, they got hoodies. Uh, And I actually, I have my favorite, uh, I don't even know what the name of it is, but it's my favorite hat as of right now from the Average Conservationist. And on the front, it's a black hat. And on the front, in gold stitching, it just says the Average Conservationist. It has uh, three stars. It's a patch hat. Man, it's badass. Their t-shirts are very soft. I'm wearing, well, let me see. Yeah, I'm wearing another Average Conservationist. They're plain gray average conservationist logo tee Um, it's another cool logo design uh, that they have soft t-shirts soft hoodies i love their hoodie but the uh, cool thing about this company is that right off of the bat they are giving 10 percent of all of their earnings to conservation efforts right and i think the last time you wrote a check it went to uh, the national deer association so uh just know that when you purchase a or uh, purchase gear a clothing from the average conservationist, you are directly giving back and helping support a conservation cause, right? So this is this is uh, something I, I feel companies within this space need to do a lot more of, and the average conservationist is leading by example. So if you want to go check out their podcast, you can do that on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast. And if you want to check out their line of apparel, go to theaverageconservationist.com check out their hats and hoodies and uh, they have a we have a discount code for you and you can save 10% off if you enter the discount code NFC10 that's NFC10 for 10% off and uh, man now you're getting a discount and you're donating to a conservation cause and you're getting uh, a kick ass piece of clothing as well so there's a win right there We've talked too much already. Let's get into today's habitat gear focused episode, I guess if you want to say it, with my main man, Adam Keith. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Hunting Gear Podcast. In today's episode, we're not talking about traditional hunting gear and equipment. We're going to be talking a little bit about habitat management, food plots, those kind of things, and the gear that is associated with them and uh, maybe what kind of gear 
you should think about using. And today's guest from the Land and Legacy podcast, Mr. Adam Keith. Adam, welcome to the Hunting Gear Podcast. Dan, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely, man. Man, we go way back, though. Uh, like, I think the Land and Legacy podcast was one of the first podcasts that we brought on to the Sportsman's Nation Network, if I if my thoughts are I, correct. I believe you were correct. Yeah. So we've been we've been uh, putting out a lot of content. You guys specifically, man, you put out two podcasts um, uh, a week, and you guys put out a lot of great content. And I will say this, you know, and I am biased because you're on the network, but I would hands down have no problem saying that when it comes to habitat management in North America, you guys are at you guys are at the cream of the crop when it comes <laughs> to that knowledge. Well, we appreciate it. Yeah, man, we're humbled when you say stuff like that. I mean, we, we definitely are. I don't, I don't know if I, I could say we're the cream of the crop, but I, I'll say this. We're as passionate as anyone out there, and I, I think that's why you get two podcasts a week from us is because we can't stop talking about this stuff. We can't yeah. stop thinking about it, We and hopefully we can't stop helping landowners across the country uh, improve the landscape. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, in in my world, I don't have the ability to – uh, do any type of habitat management. I'm, I'm sure if I went to the farmer and asked to put in a little food plot, she'd let me, or, you know, maybe do some hinge cutting somewhere uh, on the farm. She, she may let me, but it's just, it's not my property. I don't lease it. So it's just, I'm not in that mode right now. I'm in, you know, you know, hunting strategy and tactics and moving and doing all that. That's where my passion is. And I just love seeing the passion from the other side of the table, if that makes sense. I'm sure you guys are still passionate about that, uh, everything that I just said, but at the same time, you have that extra layer of passion going back to the land. You know, I think as simple as I can put it is I hear it from our clients all the time is I care more about growing them as I do hunting and killing them. Right. And, and I think that's where Matt and I have, have kind of settled is that, Man, it is really cool to take a piece of property that's not very productive and the deer is, you know, they're pretty small and they're few and far between and start doing some work and all of a sudden there's more deer and you're noticing bigger bucks. You're noticing some other species like more turkeys or more quail and you're just like, what I'm doing matters and what I'm doing is really impactful for years to come. And it, I don't know, there's a, there's a joy there, um, that just, I have not found it and I did not find it in the years of just hunting, but you know, guys can find it. Uh, but I'm just not that guy. Yeah. So before we get into the meat and potatoes of this episode, why don't you, you know, we already know that land and legacy is a podcast here on the sportsman's nation, but what else is land and legacy? Yeah. So, you know, Land and Legacy, we're a consulting firm first and foremost. And so we assist landowners across the country. And now we've been in 29 or 30 states. Um, I forget the total, but uh, with all the travel, but we've been in uh, that many states since 2017. And we've assisted on, you know, a little over 70 to 80,000 acres. Um, and we just help private landowners improve their farm for uh, just reaching their goals, whether it be bigger deer, more deer, uh, better habitat. So there's more overall wildlife or more recreational enjoyment for the family. Um, and that's what we do on a day to day basis, uh, week to week basis, but everything in between is just to promote that from podcast to videos to social media. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, and going back to that, man, really good content. So that's why you're here today because I, let's just say tomorrow, 
I wake up and I go, oh my God, I just won 200 acres or 50 acres or whatever. I, I won some, I'm now a landowner, right? And I have the ability to go in and manipulate all of, you know, all of this land any way that I want to do it. Uh, I'm going to need some gear first to do that. And uh, that's why you're here. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the, some of the things that you would recommend for people who maybe don't have that gear yet or potentially stepping up to, you know, take on some bigger projects on the, the properties that they can manipulate. So first question for you is uh, as a, as a rookie here, I don't have any habitat management equipment. What would be one of the first pieces of gear or equipment that you would recommend me to pick up so I could start working on my farm? Absolutely. You know, I I think for everyone listening, I would want them to answer that in their head of what they think they should pick up before I answer what I would say, because I think over time we've kind of shifted a little bit into more hunting strategy uh, and and different things to improve our hunting strategy, whether it be food plots or mineral or feeders or whatever. But I would say first and foremost, given the fact that you're probably a mixed habitat feature, whether it be open and timber, but most hunting tracks have got some sort of timber element to them. And I can go out on a limb and make a pretty good estimate. It's timber that's unmanaged because much of the landscape that's timbered acres is not managed. So First and foremost, I am one of those guys that believe that if you want to make an impact first off immediately with a little bit of work and for years to come is a chainsaw. Um, I just feel so strongly that one of the quickest ways to improve cover on your farm is to thin some timber. One of the quickest ways to create a healthier uh, forest is with a chainsaw And this isn't just improving cover aspects, it's improving forage aspects as well. As far as anytime you're cutting trees, you're putting food on the ground for the deer, not only immediately, but in years to come as those, as that tree or that root system begins to sprout back. And so I'm a huge believer in first and foremost, a chainsaw can do so much for your, for your landscape. In comparison, you think about bags of corn or, or pellet pellets, protein pellets, anytime you dump that on the ground, by the time that the raccoons and the crows and the deer eat through it or turkeys, it's, it's gone forever. You could walk back a week later and maybe see a little bit of activity, but it's gone forever and you don't have much impact. But if you take a chainsaw and you go in and you start just cutting some junk trees, some low quality trees, you're putting immediate forage on the ground, immediate cover on the ground, And a year from now, you can still see that work and still see it impacting the wildlife in a positive way. And so a chainsaw is just way at the top for me. And, you know, you can go and get a chainsaw at Walmart for 150 bucks. Now, it may not cut cut like a (laughs) uh, run like a scalded dog like like the saw that I run. But you can still accomplish some pretty good, uh, pretty good work by running a chainsaw and just cutting some low quality trees. Yeah. Another like low level question here is, and I kind of know the answer to this because we had that derecho come through Iowa, knock down uh, tons of trees. So I spent two whole days chainsawing down the tree that was in my front yard out and taking it to the curb. Um, but when it comes to a chainsaw, um, how, how steep would you say the learning curve is? And if, if there's any other type of accessories that a guy should purchase with a chainsaw, maybe for safety reasons. Uh, Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, you know, a learning curve on a chainsaw is 
there there is a a portion and it's probably something that i take for granted because i was running chainsaw when i was shoot i think my dad let me run one a little bit when i was 13 um and i've been running one ever since but as far as the safety gear you must have chaps chainsaw chaps or pants to protect yourself from cutting your leg or cutting an artery and bleeding to death and then so that one i i can't emphasize enough yeah um and then a helmet um, a lot of the helmets and, and so I've found on Amazon and other places, you can get a pair of chaps for 50 bucks to a hundred bucks. You can get a helmet for 30 bucks and it's going to be the one with the earmuffs too. So you're going to protect your hearing. Um, and then also the face shield, even though I removed mine cause I just like being able to see. And so I wear safety glasses instead. Um, and then a good pair of leather boots, uh, are, are needed. And then of course gloves, um, so those are just the basic ones that you would get no matter what chainsaw you're running. You need to have those on uh, when you're running a chainsaw. Yeah. So, I mean, it's one of those, just like all hunting gear, right, from bows to arrows and broadheads, anything that you can you can spend as much money as you want or you can try to find, you know, be a budget-friendly uh, purchase as well. Absolutely. I think for me, um, you know, I've ran – so many different types of chainsaws, but if you're on the market for one, I would say kind of understand, understand first what your price range is. And then also how easy is it to get parts? So if there's a steel dealer right down the street, I'd probably buy steel. If it's a Husqvarna, I'd probably buy a Husqvarna. I've ran steels my whole life. And so I run steel cause there's, it seems like a steel dealer on every corner in any town, but, um, you can get, you know, if you want to spend 300 and some bucks, get a 271 farm boss. If you want to spend 500 or 600 bucks, get a 261 CM. That's what I run. It's a, it's a professional grade, but it, it purrs like a kitten and is a cutting machine. And, um, but then if you're on the market, uh, and you're like 200 bucks, go buy a used steel chainsaw or a used Husqvarna would be my advice. I kind of, or I tend to stray away from the $200 brand new in the box at Walmart uh, chainsaws. Not to say they don't work, but if I sink a saw into a tree, it's much safer for that saw to eat through it and the tree to fall rather than get it jammed up and it not cut the tree and then we're risking our safety. So I would tend to go with the higher caliber or the quality saws and even go used if you're trying to save some money. Yeah. So when it comes to chainsaws, obviously there's, uh, some, you know, there's types of maintenance that are, are required on some of these things. Uh, now, yep. do you guys sharpen the chains yourself or do you take them off or, or take them to the shop and have them do it for you? Uh, so a, it's a combination. So typically, you know, saws or, or chains are about 30 bucks a pop. Maybe when I buy, uh, over the course of the year, there's a local steel dealer that they'll run a sale, buy two, get one free. I tend to have four, at least four chains on me, two while I'm working and two are in the shop getting sharpened. And while I'm in the field, um, and guys probably laugh, they're like, geez, but I, uh, I tend to find that no matter how good of sharpening, I feel like I'm pretty doggone good at sharpening a chainsaw. I just can't get that factory sharpened, uh, sharp. And so I, I run a saw. If I hit a little rock or piece of wire, I'll, I'll continue to sharpen it. But I try not to go away from the foundation of the machine sharpness that they can do at the shop. So yeah. I typically buy four and keep two while I'm running or uh, and two in the shop. Gotcha. All right. So 
chainsaws, right? That's the, a chainsaw is probably number one, uh, based off of what you've said here. What about the second, uh, product that you think every habitat manager should have? The second one really gets into, um, the difference in, in habitat features. So if it's more, um, if I'm going more on the open landscape or mixed landscape where I've got open acres, I would say, and I'm trying to go cheap first or the small, the fall, small stuff, but I would say some sort of herbicide applicator, um, either a backpack sprayer or a small UTV uh, type sprayer for removing um, unwanted plants. And so, uh, you know, it doesn't sound like much, but so much of the landscape is a lot of hunters have taken over old cattle farms or old crop farms and that before they were crop, they were cattle. So there's a pretty good base in much of the country that's uh, cool season grass or, or other types of warm season grass if you're down south that is not native and it's not benefiting the wildlife hardly at all. And, you know, for Iowa where you're at, Dan, so much of that landscape is got broom, uh, smooth brome, um, and all the edges of the fields, all the, uh, all the fence lines, uh, it's just everywhere. And, and if you don't know what it is, go out in March. And if it's green, it's probably smooth brome. If it looks like little ribbons where you take a, a smooth ribbon and then you run a scissor down it and kind of like pigtail it, um, it, it kind of looks like that when it matures late in the fall. And, uh, I feel like if you're spraying that, you're for every acre you're spraying, you're going to increase forage and cover aspect for the wildlife by thousands of pounds per acre. And so, you know, a mediocre food plot may have three to 4,000 pounds of forage available when a, medio- a mediocre old field has three to 4,000 pounds uh, and you're not having to buy the seed. So a herbicide sprayer, like a backpack sprayer, can go a long ways in improving the cover and forage value on your farm as well. Okay. So the uh, so some kind of uh, mix, you know, is, is it like what what you use? Is that kind of a a water chemical mix, or is it just yep. a, a thing of chemical? How and then well, obviously chemi- you have to have chemical with that as well, right? Yep. Just just uh, when you're when you're spraying a lot of the unwanted plants like like smooth brome, uh, just glyphosate generic Roundup is great, forty one percent that you can get. So many different names: Buccaneer Plus, Glystar Plus uh eraser 41 i mean any feed store in the country probably has glyphosate um and you can get it relatively cheap 40 bucks for two and a half gallon which should go a long ways if you're using a backpack sprayer um and you know you're going to spray it about two quarts per acre uh, or in a backpack sprayer if you're just doing spot treatments you're going to try to run anywhere from two to four percent of the mix being chemical and the rest being water so it's a very small amount of chemical in comparison to uh, the water ratio, but it does the trick and it should knock that stuff back. Okay. So what are we talking about um, for prices on some of this stuff, like a back a backpack sprayer or maybe one that attaches to a, a four-wheeler? You know, if you're going a backpack sprayer, you can find them 75 bucks. You can probably even find them a little cheaper than that. Um, you know, a good one's going to be 100 and 150 bucks, like a steel one. Um, but I've ran the $75 ones for forever. Um, and so I I would say this, the cheaper there are, the better chance that it's going to leak. And I don't think any of us want to be wearing a backpack sprayer with herbicide coating our back, but that's just me. Um, so a nicer one, a hundred dollar one is great. 
Um, shoot, I saw a, a used steel one for 50 bucks on Marketplace just last week. So you can find them. You just got to know what you're looking for. Um, and so that's, you know, we spend way more in the hunting realm for, for deer and hunting strategy than 75 bucks. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that's not much. And then, uh, you know, an ATV one. Uh, you know, a couple hundred bucks, you might be able to find one for 150 bucks. Um, this is going to be a 25 gallon tank with a, with a little four foot boom or, or an eight foot boom. Um, preferably get one. I know Femco makes a great one. That's, uh, it's like a four foot boom, but it sprays a 30 foot swath. So you can cover a lot of ground pretty quickly with that, especially if you're spraying old fields. Yeah. All right. Uh, and then what does a container of chemical usually cost? You know, if you're a two and a half gallon, it's going to cost you about 40 bucks. Okay. All right. Yeah. And, and give or take, like just best estimate, how many acres would that cover if you're just spraying one continuous field? Oh goodness. Uh, you just put me on the spot to, to show the world. (laughs) I went to Mansfield high school. It's a little bitty small town. Um, and, uh, and, uh, my, my math is not so great. (laughs) But, but several for, acres. But I say two and a half. I said two quarts to the acre, and there's ten quarts and two and a half gallons. So whatever that adds up. So you're going to get a couple of acres out of that. Gotcha. Uh, you know, you think about it too, like the edge of your food plots or the edge of the fields you're walking in. I, I you point me to a TV show, uh, an outdoor show, whether it's on TV or YouTube, and you show and and we get some B-roll of the guy walking in, and I can almost guarantee you I'm going to point out that he's walking by some sort of turf grass that is not native yeah and i would be like if he would just spray that right there it's going to go from knee high growth to chest high growth and i mean yeah in the world of screens and where we're all trying to hide ourselves going in it's not much but if there's any elevation change uh, and you've got chest high stuff or taller um that's a pretty good screen that you didn't have to pay for yeah and so you know i i just can't stress the importance of just just managing the landscape and just removing a lot of the non-natives or the bad, uh, like bad trees, low quality trees. And, and I will point out something, Dan, that early on in the podcast, you talked about how you don't, you're not the private landowner guy, you're gain access guy. So many guys could likely gain more access to farms that they never dreamed they could hunt, but their approach is wrong. Their, their wording or their brand is wrong. When they go to these people as a, can I hunt? when they could go there with the impression that I just, I I would love the opportunity to help improve the landscape for quail and butterflies, pollinators, um, and many other things, and just overall improve the health of the forest with the opportunity to hunt it some too. Uh, I know guys that have done that. It's just like a a really good approach to land management rather than say, can I do this for the deer? Uh, Can I do this to improve the forest? Overall, it'll probably set you up for a timber harvest later on. Um, a lot quicker than if it just set as is. Yeah. And I think, uh, that approach could, could help guys gain access. Yeah. That's a great point. Great point. All right. Um, so some kind of chemical sprayer, uh, what's the next one? Next one would likely be if, if I'm looking at, um, you know, now let's, let's talk food plots. And so, um, you can, when it comes to the food plot world, whoa, there's a, there's a drastic difference. You can either go, I want to go the Cadillac way and I'm going to buy a, I'm going to buy a tractor that's going to be 50 grand or 30 grand, or I'll buy a used one for 20 grand. 
And then I'm going to buy a no-till drill, which is going to be used at five to 10 grand or brand new at 20 grand. And then I'm going to buy a big sprayer and that's going to be 1500 bucks. Like you can spend a lot of money really quickly. Uh, if you, if you go that route or you could go, I'm going four wheeler and I'm going to buy a used four wheeler. Let's say I get in a Honda, uh, pioneer and it's cost me five grand or four grand, whatever. And then I'm going to throw a herbicide spray on the back of that. And then I'm going to go get one of those little, uh, uh, drag harrows that they sell at tractor supply, which is just a big thick chain looking drag that kind of roughs up the ground a little bit. I think a lot of guys could plant food plots, uh, with a, with a four wheeler, a drag and a, and a broadcaster. Um, and so, you know, whatever you want to price the value of a four wheeler, um, whatever you want to price, I think they're about a hundred, uh, 150 bucks for those drags at any kind of, uh, hardware store. And then a broadcast spreader. You can either get a four-wheeler mounted one. It's going to cost you a couple hundred bucks. Or you can go and get just the $40, $50 over-the-shoulder bag spreader. And I don't know if there's been more food plots planted with uh, – uh, I'm not sure there's anything that's planted more food plots than a bag spreader. Yeah. Yeah. And what, is, uh, what does a bag spreader cost? You know, $40, $50. Bucks, yeah. Maybe. And just um, you know, more sweat equity that way, basically. That's right. You got to earn it, baby. Yep. Um, and and I think that uh, I've planted because I've I've tried. You know, in our consulting business, we deal with guys who've got a hundred horse tractor and a ten foot drill and all the all the toys. And then you got another guy who's got forty acres and two food plots that are half acre each. And he's like, I can't. I don't want a drill. I don't want a tractor. I've got a four wheeler. And so, you know, you may have to change up your your seed variety, you may plant a blend rather than straight soybeans or corn and expecting to have uh, a massive amount of yield to where you have chest high beans. If you plant a, blend, a plant a blend and get that established, then you can just go and spray it, broadcast your seed, and then roll it over with the drag and have pretty good success. Yeah. I, uh, I've planted one food plot my entire life, and it was... Oh man, I want to say 200 feet by a hundred feet. And that's what, yep. that's what it was. And, um, uh, I used my buddy's, uh, side or he had a little Kubota mower and I mm-hmm. used, it, it's not even a harrow. It had these big circle spikes on it that I borrowed from another farmer. And I just drove in circles until the dirt was worked up enough. And, uh, <laughs> that was, and then I overseeded it and it, I lost it. <laughs> So, so yeah, once and done. And I, and I totally get it. You, you, you look at that and you're like, there was a lot of time put into that and a lot of relationships and then it didn't yield anywhere near the results you were expecting. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where, you know, I, I love, that's why I said chainsaw and and a backpack sprayer first, because those are results that even if you, even if you screw it up somewhat, I mean, worst case scenario, you screw up cutting a tree and you're going to end up dead or horribly harmed but it's very hard to do that yeah uh, unless you're a complete um dummy with the chainsaw and so if you just cut some trees you're still achieving goals you may have cut some trees that might have value 10 years down the road but you're still getting the immediate habitat uh the habitat gain so that's why i say those is because even even with a little bit of time you can have immediate uh immediate change 
Yeah. For good. Yeah. All right. Now, uh, I'm not going to say, hey, what's the next one? Because I I want to talk to you about something that you guys talk about. And actually, it's, uh, it's a topic of discussion on one of your podcasts recently. And that's uh, like you're putting out a, a series on fire, prescribed fire. Yeah, All right. Sure. With, with fire being such a good thing for the landscape, right? What, uh, is there any type of devices or things that a guy could do to that he could buy and, and use fire on his, on his property? Yeah. And, and so that's a great question, Dan. And, and we've covered fire right now, hardcore, because we're getting ready. We're in it and we're getting ready to be really in the heart of it as we get in even further into February and early March. But prescribed fire being a phenomenal tool to manage a lot of acres in a short amount of time. Uh, when it comes to the implements or the tools needed, um, really, you could do it with a backpack blower, a rake and some matches. Now, it wouldn't be as much fun, but you could still do it. And basically, the backpack blower and the rake is to clear out vegetation or leaf litter and create a fire break, which is basically you burn off of or burn to, um, and the fire is not going to advance onto acres that you want to burn or don't want to burn. Um, And so a backpack blower, you know, uh, a decent one. The ones I would recommend is going to be three, four hundred bucks. Uh, but you could ultimately do it if you had a tractor or a or a four wheeler with a disc. You could do the same thing. You just need to create a break. And so backpack blower usually does it the quickest, uh, and and can cover as uh, different habitat features. But you don't necessarily have to have it. Um, a rake is needed. You got to have rakes for a fire. Uh, and that's just a simple old uh, rake with metal, like a leaf rake with metal actual rake. It's no plastic involved. It's all metal, all wood. And uh, that's that's a, a must. Um, but when it comes to the fire, like I said, you could do a matches. I would rather do use a drip torch. It's just going to be much more efficient to use a drip torch. And that's going to be 125 to 150 bucks. Okay. And uh, is there any other, I guess... Just like, uh, you know, just like a chainsaw, there's other accessories that go along with yeah. that. Is there anything else like, do you need a, a bucket of water on standby or anything like that? I would probably, uh, I, I would have a herbicide sprayer, but filled with just water would be better than, than any kind of tank. Um, because you can actually blast it out there if you need, if you need to. So that's what, you know, you're getting kind of two, killing two birds with one stone. Uh, you have the ability to spray invasives to spray your food plot, but also use it for prescribed fire, uh, to make a wet line if you need to. Um, and so another one would be walkie talkies, two way radios. There you go. Um, uh, you know, you can use those for many different things on the farm, but for prescribed fire, it really helps because, uh, you can hear each other talking. Uh, you can communicate rather than having the phone ring and you got to take your leather gloves off, answer your phone, Phone battery's dead. It's just uh, walkie-talkies are, are a big must. Um, and then, you know, uh, the other thing I would I would do is you, you could buy the really nice fire Nomex that they use out west, but really just wear denim and wear cotton and don't wear polyesters. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So drip torch, 
book of matches, you know, whatever level you want to go to there. And obviously uh, j- just for safety sakes, read up on how to burn before you just go up and start lighting the woods on fire or the, the, sure. the grass on fire. But uh, outside of that, then getting back into our, our um, uh, you know, the pace of this podcast, is there any, any other uh, must have that uh, uh, maybe a rookie would rookie habitat manager should, should look into? Not really. I mean, that, that covers a whole gamut of, of things like really the way our business works is how to maximize your landscape with the least amount of money and as quickly as possible. Yeah. And, you know, you can fall into a whole lot of fads and different things and people telling you this is going to grow them or that's going to grow them or you need to have feeders or you need to do traps. Uh, and remove predators. But really, at the very core of it, you're never going to get where you could if you don't fix the habitat first. And so if you've got a chainsaw, I mean, if you give me 100 acres and the single man lifestyle um, and a chainsaw, a backpack sprayer, an ATV and a drip torch and a, and a backpack blower, I'll make it an amazing property that probably is unlike any of the neighboring, uh, any of the farms in the, in the surrounding neighborhood. Um, and I mean, there you go, that's going to be the best farm for the deer. And, and I, I just, there's so many other things you could do, but at the core, if you had a chainsaw, you could cut big trees, small trees. Um, if you had a backpack sprayer, you could spray big areas or little areas. Now you may walk your butt off, but you're still going to get the job done. Yeah. Um, and a drip torch, I mean, if you just cut some timber and then you spray some invasives and then you burn the whole unit, oh my gosh, I, I, I can't even express how much of a change the landowner or the person listening would, would see for the good. More, more forbs growing or more weeds growing, more grasses growing, more shrubs growing. Overall, that's all food and cover. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's kind of the gist of the, 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 that I would say is the, the main tools to get into. Now there is a thing if somebody wanted to, you know, if you're going to ask me the fun items to have that aren't necessary, um, I would say, you know, if you've got a hatchet and a bottle of herbicide, like I, I just, I'm looking at a box that I just got, uh, ordered in this week. That's a little hand pump herbicide applicator. Um, I forget even the brand. It's a, uh, if you don't believe me, you will now. You yeah. heard me run one. It's a, uh, a Chapin, C-H-A-P-I-N. It's a 16-ounce or a 48-ounce or 54 maybe, something like that, ounce herbicide sprayer. And you can kill, put a little bit of herbicide in there and uh, and, and a hatchet, and you can do a lot of hack and squirt and killing a lot of, you know, up in your area, uh, prickly ash or uh, black locust or honey locust. Um, so many species that you probably gripe at when you walk by and they scratch your arm, you could kill a pile of them really quickly with, with just those two simple tools that maybe all said and done cost you 30 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, now let's say that, uh, I, I own a thousand acres, right. And I somehow came into some money or whatever. Is there, 
you know, and I know we can take this to the extremes like, dude, you can buy a planner, you can buy a tractor, and now you're starting to talk in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. But I want to talk about products or maybe a specific product that maybe a little, you know, might be on the expensive side, but has the greatest return in the, you know, in the thoughts of habitat management. Yeah. Um, oh, that's, so I, something comes to mind when you say that one of the first things that, that, that comes to mind is, is a skid steer, a track skid steer, or a track loader with a brush cutter or a tree saw on, on that. Um, because I mean, anybody knows that if you run a chainsaw or you sit in a cab of a, of a skid steer with the AC going and a, and a, <laughs> and a radio on, you can work much quicker and longer yeah. in those units. So I've always said, if I had to my dream farm and I was going to buy my dream, like, uh, all the equipment I wanted, a skid steer would be one of my first purchases because I could not only improve habitat, but most importantly, I could improve roadways. Once I have great roads, oh man, I'm off to the races. Everything else, I can burn. I can um, I can access my stands better. Um, I can just enjoy the farm more. It's just a much better uh, scenario if I have good roads, and a, a skid steer would be phenomenal at that. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about something like uh, a, a mower, any type of mower or brush hog or like something that you can pull behind a vehicle or uh, an ATV? I just am not a huge brush hog guy. I think there's a lot of research. There's a very small window of time where brush hogging is, is ultimately helping okay. the, uh, helping the wildlife. I mean, I, I look at it like this, uh, quail take a very, to have successful quail, they require really healthy habitat. Deer aren't, are very adaptable. They don't require that. Um, you know, you can see giant deer being killed in the suburbs, eating invasive species and, and landscaping and still be humongous. Yeah. You don't see quail thriving on poor habitat. And so if I'm looking at research and I'm looking at some habitat, uh, like nonprofits or have, uh, animal specific conservation organizations like quail forever pheasants forever um rough grouse society they're they're going to be way more into habitat management than let's say uh and this is not a downplay on nda but nda or formerly qdma does great stuff but they don't have to be as focused on habitat as people dealing with quail have to be yeah and most of those guys in quail forever and pheasants forever are going to tell bush hogging is one of the worst things we can do on our farm now, from an aesthetic standpoint and trail system, a little portable mower might be great. Um, but the ones that I've seen and dealt with behind UTVs and four-wheelers are a royal pain and deal with a lot of breakdowns and uh, disastrous stuff. And so I would rather have a tractor. Um, I would rather have a tractor with a little five-foot bush hog on it than a, than a UTV pull behind one. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, um, man, we've kind of covered a whole gamut of things uh, on on this episode today. Are there any other products that might be game changers, uh, whether it's uh, something for the average Joe or if it's some somebody with a little bit more money to spend that uh, would really help their their habitat management skills? 
I would, if, if, if I had, let's just say $5,000 as a landowner, uh, come across my table and I'm going to put it into the farm. Um, I think a person, honestly, uh, if, if what our goal is, is just to improve the farm for hunting standpoint, timber value, overall land health. If somebody just hired a contracting crew and went in and say, I need TSI, I need crop tree release on my timber, bam, and they spent $5,000 on that, I'm not sure there's a product that they could buy and use themselves that would do more good than that. And I know that's not what you're looking for, but yeah. that's the realm that I live in is, um, is uh, I see money being spent on lots of things that don't equate to bigger deer, healthier deer, more of them. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. So um, before we hit the road here, uh, Land and Legacy is doing kind of like a habitat um, it's a classroom. What are, what are you what are you calling it? We call them workshops. Workshops. Yep. And you're doing a couple of those throughout the country. Why don't you? Uh, this is the plug time where you get to yeah. talk about you know those uh, those classroom little deals that you're doing and uh, talk about where they're at and the and the times. Yeah. So. I uh, appreciate that. We're actually doing these habitat workshops in Michigan and Alabama this year. Um, the one in Michigan is about 20 minutes west of Grand Rapids. Um, it's near Nunica, Michigan, and it's a smaller parcel, um, but the guy's killed. A, I mean, he's killing some good deer, seeing some really good deer, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be on... Um, june 25th through the 27th so it's two and a half days show up friday afternoon friday evening and go through sunday morning and uh basically what it'll be is it will be in both in michigan and alabama it will be um we'll talk about some of the features or a lot of the features we use to pr- to improve habitat whether it be edge feathering timber stand improvement forest stand improvement invasive species control old field management prescribed fire uh, food plots, bedding areas, all the stuff we talk about on a week-to-week basis, we're going to show you how we do that on the landscape. So I will run a saw, Matt will run a saw, some of our Kyle and Frank, some of our guys, biologists, uh, will run a saw or showcase how we do it, and then we'll talk about why it's important. So. Um, we're hopefully going to help people get more clarity on uh, more efficient land management. And, uh, and so, of course, management in Michigan and Alabama are two totally different beasts with two totally different uh, stress levels and stress periods. So um, they're not all going to be the same, um, and it's not going to be jam-packed in the classroom. I mean, take it from me, the man who hated school and still struggles with the thought of sitting in a classroom – um, you're going to see me very, uh, um, anxious to get to the field, even when we're in the classroom setting, but we're going to cover a lot of the stuff for a short period and then jump into the, jump into the woods. Perfect. Well, I appreciate your time today, Mr. Adam Keith, and, uh, thanks for hopping on and, uh, you know, pouring some wisdom over top of us today. I thank you very much. And, uh, man, I guess I'll talk to you later. No, thanks for having me, Dan. Anytime, anytime. Anytime.